I'm sure most of you have seen the cute little list that people make that says everything I needed to know I learned in kindergarten. That's pretty much true. Uh, All the big things we learned pretty early on. Uh, We just sent a bunch of children out to have a children's training hour. They're going to learn some of the basics in there. Uh, I used to teach children's Bible hour back in the old days when we had a joy bus ministry. Uh, sometimes we had about a hundred kids in there uh, to keep busy for an hour. About three-fourths of them were bus kids. Now, for those of you that don't remember, bus kids was a euphemism for not trained for church. And uh, when you, you get a room full of them, a hundred of them, uh, it's kind of interesting. It's a little bit challenging, but my favorite thing to do in there was to tell Old Testament stories. Uh, the Old Testament stories are simple. They're generally pretty short. They're exciting. they got all sorts of things happening in them. They're great stories. And they teach everything we need to know about God and about us. So I've got two weeks to cover for Toby here. He's off vacationing. Hope the family has a great time. Uh, and in those two weeks, I want to go back to a couple of my favorite Old Testament stories. Uh, this week we're going to talk about one that teaches us about God. God is able. And then next week we'll talk about another one that's entitled, We Are Able, Because God is Able. Our story today comes from Daniel chapter 3, and to start off, let's get the characters. There are four supporting characters in this story, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, and a king named Nebuchadnezzar. Now, the three boys and their friend Daniel uh, were taken from Jerusalem. They grew up in Jerusalem, and probably about 13 years, most people guess, uh, Babylonians invaded, King Nebuchadnezzar invaded, took Jerusalem, conquered it. And the Babylonians tended to take people that they conquered, take special people, take the best and the brightest young people. The Bible says from the royal family or from nobility, Nebuchadnezzar commanded his men to take some of the Jews from Jerusalem and... Those four boys were among them. Uh, They were put into a leadership training thing in Babylonia, three-year course, learned everything Babylonian. Uh, They got new names. Uh, Daniel became Belteshazzar, which we hardly ever call him that. Uh, But the other three we call by their Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They got new names, they got graduated, they advanced up the ladder in Babylonia, they got a positions of authority, uh, they got along pretty well. Now there is that one story about their little problem with their diet. Uh, the king wanted them to eat Babylonian food and that wasn't kosher, so they negotiated a settlement on that and got along pretty well. After a few years, and we don't know how many, the king, well, he got an ego problem. Uh, He got pretty full of himself. He got to thinking that he was king of everything. 
not just king of Babylonia. He was king of the world. He was divine. So the king built the statue, which is the next part of the story. The Bible says it was in his likeness. It looked like him. It was 90 feet tall. And the Bible says it was gold. Now, some people think, you know, 90 feet of gold, that's, that's impossible. That doesn't say it was solid gold. It was probably plated with gold. It may have been made out of wood or metal, or it may have been carved into a cliff. We don't know, but uh, it was covered with gold at least. And it may have been on a base, which made it taller than it actually was. But whatever, it was impressive. Uh, when you approached it, it would look like an eight- or nine-story building out in the middle of the plain. And once he got it built, he ordered a summit meeting, called all of the officials. Everybody who had any kind of position in the kingdom was supposed to show up at the statue. Uh, the king's herald got up when they got all there and announced to them the program for the day. Uh, the program is that when the band starts, you all hit the dirt. When the band starts, everybody bow down. Everybody worshiped the image of Nebuchadnezzar. Now, most of you know what happened. Uh, everybody did bow down. Almost everybody. The Bible says that some Chaldeans, probably the priests of the Babylonian god Marduk, uh, probably them, they reported to the king. They went to him and they said, hey, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, don't pay attention to you. They don't worship our gods. And they didn't bow down to the image. King summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to see if this was true. Kind of interesting the way the Bible tells it. The king says, I've heard... I've heard that you didn't worship my image. And then he goes immediately into, he says, now, if you're ready, if you're ready to bow down to the image now, everything will be all right. That's good. But if you don't, you're going to die. Which brings us to the furnace. That was the mode of death. It was a fiery, burning furnace, the Bible calls it. Now, we don't know exactly what it was. It's not the fireplace in your rec room we're talking about here. This was a big furnace. Uh, metal refining was well established by this time in history. So, And archaeologists found lots of kilns or furnaces that they refined metal in. Uh, some of them are long tunnels with the one end blocked, and they push charcoal in there until it got hot enough to melt metal. Uh, some of them were chimney-shaped with a dome over the top that they'd put the charcoal under and build a huge fire. So it probably was something like one of those, but whatever, they had a furnace, and that was the punishment. So we've met all the supporting characters. We know who they are. Uh, we know the background of the story. Now we're ready for the story. And the story happens in the next few verses, and it's a situation, a simple Old Testament story situation, where we can learn something about God. In this story, we can learn something about God, and we'll learn something about us. So, let's summarize. 
bow down or burn. That's the choice. And the boys had to make that choice. Do we bow down to the altar or do we burn in the fiery furnace? Now, some of you may be thinking, okay, this is an interesting old story, but we don't have any crazy kings these days building statues or throwing people in fiery furnaces. The trouble is we all do. There's a lot of golden statues out there. They're all around us. Now, this king, yes, he built a statue, and yes, he threatened with the furnace and all that, but all he was doing was imposing his values on everybody. That was all he was doing. He said, everybody come to this. I am divine, and I expect you to worship me. There's nothing more important. You will conform. That's the story. Now, our current king, uh, the Bible calls him a prince, uh, the prince of this world. The prince of this world does exactly the same thing. He operates the same way. He builds all kinds of golden statues, confronts us with them, and tells us, bow down or... Uh-oh, he doesn't say, I'll burn you in the furnace. There are some places in the world where he says that. But in America today, he just says, bow down, or you won't fit in. Bow down, or you'll lose your friends. Bow down, or you might lose your job. There's all kinds of golden statues. That's what the world wants us to do is conform to accept their values, its values. And all of us have those choices. I thought about making a list of all the kind of choices we got, and I thought that would just distract you from thinking about your choice. Because you've all got one. Well, you've all got more than one. I think, personally, I think young people have more choices to make than older people. Uh, They're confronted with more things that conform to this, or you won't fit in, I won't be your friend, this won't work anymore. Conform, or it's not going to be so good for you. I think the older you get, we've made some of those choices, and we've got through some of them, but no matter how old you are, you still got choices. You're still confronted with these golden statues that you've got to decide, what am I going to do? Now, since we've all got those choices, let me just tell you a couple of things. First, let me tell you, I want you to think about this. See, we usually, when I tell this story, I emphasize how hard it would be to stand up. How hard would that be when everybody else in the room, in the crowd, they were out in the middle of the plane, when everybody there, thousands of people maybe, Hits the dirt. How hard would it be to be the only three standing up? But I don't want you to think of that. I want you to think of the other side of it. I want to propose that you think about how easy would it have been to bow down. That wouldn't have been hard, folks. I mean, look around. Yeah, who will notice? Yeah, and 
this will get me by and I'll keep the good job and I won't go in the fiery furnace. And we can, Shadrach, we can bow down. Everybody will think it's okay. We can be praying to Jehovah. You know, we can all be humming. Our God is an awesome God. But we'll look like it'll be all right. How easy would that have been? See, it's easy to go along. It's easy to bow down. So here's the question. If it's that easy to bow down, why didn't they? In this instance, faced with death, nobody would really notice. They could go right on living like they were and praising Jehovah. Why didn't they bow down? I think probably, since they were in a pagan land, God had protected them so far, I think they understood where they were. They were in a God moment. God had put them, God had allowed them to be in a position where they had to make this choice. It's a God moment. Sometimes we don't recognize those. Sometimes we don't recognize it till afterwards. Abraham was in a God moment. Abraham had been given the promised son. And now he was in a situation on a mountain where he had a knife and a fire and an altar and a son to sacrifice, and he had to make a choice. That was a God moment. It wasn't just a choice about the son. It was a choice about the future. David, he went on a simple errand to deliver food to his brothers who were fighting the Philistines. And somehow he walked up just as Goliath challenged Israel. Just as he heard Goliath insult his God. And he had to make a choice. He was in a God moment. It wasn't just about him and the giant. This was about the future. Esther's the greatest example of this. Esther was married to an evil king. She was Jewish. Her uncle Mordecai came to her and said, I know there's a plot to destroy the Jews. You've got to talk to the king. You've got to intercede. Esther said, whoa, I don't want to do that. That's not a good thing to do. You go to the king about something when he hasn't summoned you, and he'll have you put to death. That's not safe for me to do that. And Mordecai said to her, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows, here's the punchline, and who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Esther was in a God moment. It wasn't just about her and the king. This was about all sorts of things for the people of Israel and God's kingdom. Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in a God moment. We face God moments. We have to make a choice. And bear this in mind, it's not about the furnace. I know that's what I said the boys had to choose. Do we bow or do we burn? But it's not really about the furnace or 
losing friends or losing a job or whatever social ostracization you might take. The question's about answering a question. And the king asked the ultimate question. The king said, who is the God who will deliver you? Now, be sure you write that down right. I didn't make a typo. That's a little g. That's the way Nebuchadnezzar thought about it. Nebuchadnezzar thought there were all kinds of gods. Nebuchadnezzar worshipped some of them. He thought he was a god. And so he asked the boys, who's the god who will deliver you? That's the same question Abraham got and David got and Esther got. Goliath said, your God's nothing. David said, oh, yeah. (laughs) Watch this. He was just answering the question, who is the God that will deliver you? Abraham, David, Esther, Sadrach, Meshach, and Abednego all gave the same answer. And the boy's answer was, our God is able. Our God's able. Nebuchadnezzar, who's the God that's going to deliver? Our God. Our God's able. Now, you see, they really believed that. I think that's probably one problem we have answering that question sometimes when we hit that golden statue and we see the furnace, whatever it may be. It's hard to say because we don't really believe it. I mean, really believe it. We think about ourselves, we think, well, I can't get out of this one. You know, there's no way to get out of this. If I want to keep these friends, if I want to keep this job, if I want to keep this family, whatever, I've got to do what's wrong. I know what's right. But I, man, I don't see any other way out. Well, the boys believed in a God who is able. So they answered him this way. They said, oh, Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, We have no need to answer you in this matter. Uh, You're not going to understand it anyway. (laughs) we we got no need to answer. Uh, If this be so, if you're really going to throw us in the fire, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. That's a great answer. But here's the best part of the answer. That's just the first part of the answer. The best part of the answer is they said, our God is able and he will deliver us, but if not, get that now, but if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. You know what they said? They said, we're not going to do the wrong thing. No matter what happens. No, we serve a God who's able to get us out of this. But he may not choose to. You know, I don't know what God's moment plan is. So he may not choose to. He may not get me out of it right now. But I won't do the wrong thing anyway. I will do the right thing. I was reading somebody else's writing about this story the other day. And he had this phrase in there. He said, we may not win... But we will not lose. I wish I had thought of that. I wish I could claim I thought of that, but I didn't. Somebody else think, "Ah, that's great. We may not win, but we will not lose. That's what the boys said. 
They had this impossible decision to make, this horrible choice. And they said, we may not win, but we will not lose. Our God's able, but even if he doesn't, we're not going to do the wrong thing. Remember that. Write it down. We may not win, but we will not lose. When you're, when you're up against that statue, when you got that furnace over your shoulder, whisper that to yourself. You can say it out loud if you want. The boys probably would have said it out loud. Let me throw something in here. Sometimes when I tell this story, I think, you know, that sounds kind of preposterous, and everybody's thinking, these boys were just cool. You know, they just stood there and said, King, we don't have to answer you. God's able, even if he doesn't find. That's the way we tell the story, but I don't think it looked like that. I bet they were shaking in their sandals. I bet there was sweat pouring off of them. They had to be scared to death. You know, that's human. But they had this belief, but they had to be afraid. It had to be a horrible thing. And so I tell you that because when you face your golden statue and and your furnace, whatever that may be, I don't want to make it sound like it's easy. Because it's not. You think about the consequences. And they scare you. You don't know how this is going to come out or how you're going to make it after this if you make the right choice. So I know the boys were afraid, but they made the right choice anyway. They said, I know God is able, and I will make the right choice. Now, let me give you an example of God is able, what we're talking about here. And I know this is a a shift from an Old Testament story to a more recent one, but some of you saw a movie called Dunkirk came out a few months ago. Okay. Uh, takes place in early in World War II. British troops and French troops are surrounded by German troops, and they got to be evacuated from the city of Dunkirk in France. Went to the movie because I like history. I didn't think it was a great movie. I didn't, it was okay. It was pretty well done in some ways. I think the, probably the part of, part of the problem was that I had with it was they only told part of the story. The whole story was about the supporting characters. They never talked about the main character. And just for those of you that didn't see it or don't know military history a little bit, uh, I know a little bit. I know there's some here that know a whole lot more, but let me just fill you in a little bit. Early in the war, they knew Nazis were coming. Britain had moved probably a half million men into France to get ready to prepare for the attack that they thought surely would come uh, in May of 1940, May the 9th, so this is early in the war, Hitler unleashed the forces. He sent the German forces after him way before anybody thought he would. And they poured through Holland, they poured through Belgium, they began to pour through France, and they just swept over everything. And in about two weeks, it was pretty well over. In about two weeks, the Germans had just gone anywhere they wanted almost. Uh, Churchill wrote that he feared, I'm going to have to announce the greatest military disaster in history. Because he had half a million troops there. And they were trapped, completely trapped. About 400,000 of them had been pushed back to the sea at Dunkirk, which was the only port where they could evacuate. 
And the Germans had them surrounded on all sides and were coming fast. So the British leadership met, and they considered everything. They said, we've got to evacuate them. And they went through the plan, and they considered everything there was to consider. The port of Dunkirk was very shallow, so the big ships couldn't get in there. So it was going to be very slow to get people out to the big ships. The English Channel was so rough at that time of year that it was going to slow everything down, and it would be really slow. Uh, the Germans had them surrounded and were about 10 miles away. They, they'd be there in a couple of days. Uh, the German Air Force was backing up the German army, and they were behind the Nazi forces, and they would fly out and cover the beaches. They would blow the ships up. They would strafe all the men on the beaches. There was going to be a huge loss of life. So after they considered everything there was to consider, they came up with their best guess. And their best guess was, at the very best, we may save 40,000 men out of 400,000. We'll probably only save 20 or 30,000. The other 350,000 are going to die or be taken prisoner. That's where we are. Uh, There's stories of British leaders that planned with their wife to commit suicide when this was over. That's how bad it was going to be. The war would be lost. On Saturday, May the 25th, they gave the orders to begin the evacuation. And it started. Now, I said they considered everything. Almost. They almost considered everything. But King George thought of something else. He called for Sunday, May the 26th, to be a national day of prayer. He got on the radio and he told all the British people all over the kingdom, he said, go to the churches tomorrow and let us commit our cause to God. The next morning, he and his cabinet went to the Westminster Abbey. The church was filled. The streets were filled with people trying to get in. Every church in Britain was filled and overflowing. The people went to pray. On Monday, Hitler ordered his troops to stop. Nobody knows why. Historians guess. They think, well, he probably thought the Air Force could take out all the soldiers. They could destroy everything, and he wouldn't have to waste the army marching into it. Some people think he thought they needed to be resupplied. We do know that all the generals disagreed. All the generals said, keep going. But Hitler said, stop. So they stopped. On Tuesday, a storm like no one had ever seen broke out inland over the German forces, basically, over the beaches and over the aircraft, and the aircraft couldn't take off. They were grounded. British Army could march to the beach pretty safely. There were a few aircraft still up, but hardly any. 400,000 men could march to the beach and wait for evacuation. While that storm was going on inland, a great calm settled over the English Channel, like no one had ever seen that time of year. 
The reporter said that it was calm as a mill pond. All of that enabled the British people to go to work, and they got in their boats, what come to be known as the little ships, anything that would float, anything that would carry people, the British people, fishermen and paddle wheel tourist boats and uh, speed boats and anything that floated took off for Dunkirk. One pilot said the channel looked like you could walk across it. There were so many boats down there. And many of them ferried people out to the big destroyers and the big ships, and some of them made many runs back and forth to England. By the end of the week, 338,000 British and French troops were safely back in England. 338,000. Churchill, who was not a church-going kind of fellow, he addressed the nation and he called it the miracle of Dunkirk. Don't know how it happened. It was a miracle. Next Sunday, June the 9th, they had a national day of thanksgiving. Newspaper article said the prayers of the nation were answered and the God of hosts himself supported the valiant men of the British force. The churches were filled again that Sunday. And almost every service, they sung Psalm 124. Psalm 124 says, If it had not been the Lord who was on our side. Let Israel now say, If it had not been the Lord who was on our side. When people rose up against us. Then they would have swallowed us up alive. When their anger was kindled against us. Then the flood would have swept us away. The torment would have gone over us. And over us would have gone the raging waters. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken, and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. David wrote that about another God moment. The British people sang it that Sunday because it was true. You see, the movie was about the British and the German and the French and the commanders and the pilots and the volunteers and the boats. Those were all supporting characters. The story is about a God who is able. Now, you want to know how this story came out, don't you? You want to know about the boys in the furnace. Well, it involves a fourth man. After the boys answered that our God is able, but if he doesn't, we're not going to worship you anyway. After they answered, the king didn't take it well, surprisingly. He said, heat that furnace up seven times hotter than it's ever been. He probably had his throne carried out beside the furnace so he could watch, and he watched his soldiers throw the three boys in. And a little while later, he got a shocked look on his face and said, how many did we throw in there? And one of his aides reported, well, we threw in three, but there's four in there. And they're walking around. 
And one of them looks like a son of the gods. Now, some people think that was Jesus. Might have been Gabriel. Might have been a lesser angel. A lesser angel could have handled it. We don't know who it was, but it doesn't matter because what was happening was the God who is able was keeping his promise. He was there. Deuteronomy chapter 3 and verse 8 says, And this is what the boys had learned from youth. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. They had learned that in children's training hour. They knew the basics. And so they could say, our God is able. You know the rest of the story, but let me just read it because... This is the God moment. Verse 26 of chapter 3. Nebuchadnezzar then came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace, and he declared Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego servants of the Most High God. He didn't use the little G this time. He said, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire, and the satraps and the prefects and the governors and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of these men. The hair of their heads was not singed. Their clothes were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other god who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Bethlehem. Pretty good God moment. You may have learned a whole new Bible story today. You may have heard it a thousand times. That's okay, because it never hurts to hear it again. What I want you to go out of here with, though, is when, when you face that statue... You're going to think about the consequences. You're going to think about the choice. When you feel the heat of the furnace, you know it's going to be painful. It's not going to be easy. But if you really believe, now I'm talking about but if not kind of faith. You know, that's a different kind of faith. If you really believe. then you will remember that you serve a God who is able. And you will make the right choice. We're going to stand and sing a song in just a moment. We're going to sing Psalm 124. You're going to recognize the words that I read to you. And we're going to sing it like they did on June 9th of 1940. I know it meant a little something different to them because they just escaped... But there's people in this room that just escaped from something. 
There's a lot of people in this room that have escaped from the fires of hell. Maybe not last week, but at some point. Had it not been for the Lord, we wouldn't have escaped. Let's stand and celebrate that. Let's thank the Lord for what he's delivered us from. And if you have some public need, come to the front and speak to one of our elders. Let's stand and sing.